Church family, let me invite you to take God's Word and join me in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Our text here together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. The late uh, R.C. Sproul, a name known to many of you, he was used of God for decades upon decades, across generations. He was used of God to help generations of Christians know and understand God maybe in a more full and complete way. Through his preaching and through his teaching, Sproul unpacked for us the character of God and the beauty of the Gospel. In fact, when R.C. Sproul preached his last sermon just a few years ago, the very last sentence of the very last sermon that he ever preached, he said this, So I pray with all my heart that God will awaken each one of us today to the sweetness, the loveliness, the glory of the Gospel declared by Christ. I can hear his gravelly voice uh, saying those tender, sweet words. Throughout his ministry, Sproul aimed at that and helped us. He helped the church understand the sweetness, the loveliness, and the glory of the Gospel declared by Christ. And one of the ways that he did that is throughout his ministry, there was a a profound emphasis on a Latin phrase that he would use often in his preaching and teaching. That Latin phrase being Coram Deo. Now I know we've got some Latin students in the room here today, so I fully expect you guys to already know what that means. Coram Deo. To live before the face of God. If you've listened to Sproul at all, you have heard him talk about this reality. He sought to teach and to preach that everything we think and everything we say, everything we do is before God's face. There is nowhere we can go to escape God's presence, and it matters how we then practically live before this holy and sovereign God. As one article on this states, Coram Deo reminds us that since the Lord God has created and redeemed us, our whole lives belong to Him. God is King over every breath, each of our relationships, and all the work of our hands. No room remains for divided interest. Only single-minded, wholehearted devotion to the One who made us for Himself. R.C. Sproul would say it this way himself, to live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. God is omnipresent. There is no place so remote that we can escape His penetrating gaze. All that we do, all that we are, All that we think in the hidden places of our hearts, it is all quorum Deo before the face of God. And as we come to Matthew chapter 6, and this section 
of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to repeatedly drive at this reality that all of life is lived Coram Deo. God, our Father, who is in heaven, sees everything we do. And more importantly, He sees the attitude of our heart behind all that we do. And so in light of that reality, we are to then crucify within us the desire to be noticed and seen by others, and we are to live for the glory of God alone. It does not matter what others think of us or what reward they might give us if God is not glorified in our lives. Before us in the text this morning is this piercing question. Really, over all of chapter 6 is this piercing question that week after week after week we're going to have to ask and answer am I living my life to be seen by men or am I living my life to be seen by God that's the question before us am I living for the applause of man or for the glory of God so my prayer is that this text this morning all throughout chapter 6, my prayer for us is that we would be drawn into the reality of living before the face of God and that our response to this text would be sola deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1-4. to Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I think the theme of the text here is this, that we want to live for God's glory, and we want to live, saints, for a better reward. I think there's three aspects of this text that help us in this way. First one, in verse one, first aspect of living for God's glory or giving specifically as we're going to see in the text for God's glory means for us that our external righteousness, the, the deeds that we perform outwardly, our external righteousness is not to be done for the applause of man. Our external righteousness, whatever it may be, in this text specifically, giving, in other texts, praying, fasting, it's not to be done for the applause of man. Verse 1, beware. It starts with a warning. 
to us. Be on the alert. Pay attention. Give care here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, I want you to think back to chapter 5 and how it flows into chapter 6 because all of chapter 5 was defining for us what as Christians and as disciples of Christ, what our daily practical lives are going to look like. Jesus has a particular way in which He calls His particular people to live. If we are going to be disciples of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, then chapter 5 is telling us how we live that out. And then as you make your way though into verse 1 of chapter 6 about all of that that he just said in chapter 5, hey, beware. I want you to beware of something Jesus is saying As you are passionate about living out the gospel, as you are passionate about being what Jesus, King Jesus has called you to be, I want you to be careful, he says, that you do not practice your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Jesus, you remember back in chapter 5 and verse 16, He said this, to let your light shine before men. But now here in verse 1, he warns, do not let your light shine for men. While we live out our deeds publicly in front of others, we do not do it for them. Remember how that verse continues, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the goal then of outward righteousness is that when people are drawn to it, and when they see you, that what ends up happening is they look right past you. They look right through you. They look right past your good works to see the glory of God. What we never want is for their gaze to stop on us. We never want to be the point. We never want to be the hero. We want them to be drawn to the glory and the goodness and the sweetness of the Gospel through us, but we want their gaze to see us and then keep moving to someone better. But let's just acknowledge the reality that in all of our hearts, There is a self-centered pride that wants to be seen. It wants to be noticed. It wants to be thought well of. It wants to be applauded. And that comes out of our lives in a myriad of ways. But that sinful, harmful, devastating pride resides in all of our hearts. I want to be seen. I want to be well thought of. I want people to think that I'm godly and holy and love Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here is that not that you shouldn't perform your outward deeds, but that you shouldn't do them to be honored by men. That you should be on guard against that heart attitude that's dangerous and destructive, that robs God of glory. 
Jesus would sum up the heart attitude of the scribes and Pharisees and their external righteousness in Matthew 23 and verse 5 when He said this, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. He would say about them in John chapter 5, verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Jesus is saying you are so consumed with living your life for your own glory, for people to see you, for you to be thought well of, that you are no longer in a position to receive any glory, honor from God. And you're certainly not in a position to give glory and honor back to Him. So beware, Jesus says. So I think we have to ask our hearts some questions in this moment. What about my conversations? What about my conversations? Do I slant my conversations so that it draws attention to self? Do you only, do you serve only because you worry about what people will say if you don't? Do you serve to be noticed and seen? Do you love down in your soul. And you've got to be honest with yourself. But do you love to get that well done from other people? If so, beware. Because look at the end of verse 1. The warning is this. That if you live your life, if you practice external righteousness, if you live out the Gospel to be noticed by others, You have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. No reward. What does Jesus mean here when He talks about reward and and specifically not having any reward? Well, as we get to the end of the sermon, we'll, we'll think a little bit more about this. And what we'll find by the end of the text is that a life lived only for self gives no evidence of salvation in Christ. And so, uh, maybe maybe most pointedly, the reward here would be that of just eternal life. Salvation. But the Bible speaks of other type of reward. Turn back to, or turn forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And while there is some mystery here as to what all of this means or looks like, Scripture speaks of reward for the believer. When you get to heaven, when you stand before your Savior, when the deeds of your life pass through the fire, not your, not, not your sin, that issue has been dealt with at the cross of Christ, but with your time, your talents, your abilities, your gifts, when what you did with all those things, when that passes through the fire, You get this moment in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. 
works, it seems, according to 1 Corinthians 3, done for the applause of man, those works of wood or hay or stubble, only done to advance self, to make much of my own glory, it seems that those works are burned up and there is no reward for those. However, works done for the glory of God, for the advancement of His kingdom, those are rewarded. What exactly does that mean and look like? More on that later, like in eternity later. We'll see. I don't know that we fully know or grasp the depth of that reward. But think about what Jesus is saying at the end of verse 1. If you live to be noticed by men, there is no reward from... Notice what He says. Your Father who is in heaven. I want you to remember that phrase. Your Father who is in heaven. Because you're going to see that phrase ten different times in chapter 6. Ten times in chapter 6, Jesus is going to mention God as your Father. Your Father who is in heaven. Your Father who sits on the throne. Your Father who is sovereign over all. Your Father who sees and knows all things. Because remember, all of life is lived quorum Deo, before the face of God. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. God sees everything. Psalm 33, verses 13 and 14, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From His dwelling place, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Church, we have an audience of one. There is only one who matters. There is only one reward that is lasting. And church, we are to live for Him and His glory and His applause, not the applause of man. As we will see at the end of verse 2, once the applause of man dies, so does your reward and the glory that you seek for yourself. Church, our, our outward deeds of, of righteousness, and in a minute specifically our giving, which Jesus will use as the first example of this, is not to be done for the applause of man, but for the glory of God. And so make it the cry of your heart. Psalm 115 and verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory. Secondly, secondly, as Jesus begins to get a little more specific here for us, we're thinking about now giving for God's glory and the better reward. Secondly, in verse 2, our giving is to be done for God's glory. 
Our giving is to be done for God's glory. So in order to illustrate the point that he's making here, Jesus is going to use three examples. In this text, that of giving, specifically giving to the poor. Uh, Next week, the issue of prayer. Following that, the issue of fasting. Honing in on those three, in, those three issues in particular, because for the Jewish people, if you really wanted to show your piety, if you really wanted to show how holy you were, then there were three things that you made a pretty big deal about in your life. Giving money, praying, and fasting. And when, and when you did those things, you did them in a pronounced, very public, very demonstrative way so that people saw you and were frankly just awed by your piety. So Jesus begins to dig into that. When, verse 2, you give to the poor. Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the streets and in the synagogues, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. When you give to the poor. I want you to notice here first the the use of the word when you give. Not if. This is not a matter of should I. This is a matter of when you give. Jesus' expectation for His disciples is that they will be a giving people. A giving people who give generally unto the Lord, specifically to the poor in this text. Jesus, His expectation is that the disciples of His kingdom, that the normal rhythm of their lives will be giving our money to the glory of God, to the advancement of His kingdom, and to take care of others around us. All of Scripture drives at this reality. Both Testaments, old and new, make clear that God expects His people to give. Think back to Exodus chapter 25, Exodus 35 and 36. They're getting ready to build the tabernacle. Do you remember what happens? God instructs Moses, I want you to take up an offering. Listen, offerings are not just like my idea, all right? It's, It's not just an invention of the modern church. Like God's people have always been called to give to the Lord. And if you've not read those texts in a while, it's pretty fascinating because people begin to give. And they are just pouring forth their treasures. By the way, Moses would have made a terrible Southern Baptist preacher because Moses, there comes a point where he looks at him and says, I need you guys to stop giving. We got so much stuff here that, uh, that we got way more than we need. Just, just stop. Like, offering's over, okay? No more contribution. I can promise you I'm probably never going to say that to you, all right? Just for the record. Notice the point. God intends that His people... Be a part of giving for God's glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Leviticus chapter 27. Deuteronomy chapters 12 and 14. God calls the people to give a tithe. To give 10% of all that they have unto Him. 
Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 12. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Over and over and over, bring the tithe to me, God says. But then as you make your way into the New Testament, beyond the 10%, on top of that, we see the principle of generous and sacrificial giving that goes often way beyond the 10%. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and 35. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. What are people doing? God's people, the church, what are they doing? In Acts, oh, you've got need? Here, here's my stuff. Here's my stuff. And no one, it reports by the end of Acts 4, no one is counting anything as belonging to them, and nobody among them had any need because they gave. Because they held loosely to the world's goods. Because they obeyed the call of God to give. Needs are met. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. The Jerusalem church is in trouble. The saints there have had their goods and livelihoods stripped away from them. So the churches in, in, in Macedonia, they're taking up a love offering and sending it back. And we've just read of these things in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. The, those churches were poor themselves. And they're giving out of the overflow of their poverty. Then, within all of the commands to give is the specific instruction from God's Word to give to the poor and the needy. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Leviticus 23, 22. Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 22. All of those texts speak of giving to the poor. And one of the specific ways that God mentions in those texts is when you go to, to reap your field at harvest time, don't reap all the field. Leave the corners, leave the edges so that the poor among you can come and have something to eat. When you get to the book of Ruth and Ruth shows up to glean in Boaz's field, Boaz has been faithful to the Lord in that way. And Ruth is provided for. So listen, giving to God, giving for the glory of God, Giving for the advancement of the Gospel, giving for the care of the needy is not optional for the Christian. It's just simply not. J.C. Ryle said this, how many are rich towards themselves, but poor towards God? How many never give a farthing to do good to the bodies and souls of men? And have such persons any right to be called Christians in their present state of mind? It may be well doubted. A giving Savior should have giving disciples. So when you give, verse 2, do not sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Now, it doesn't actually seem as though literal trumpets were being blown in the streets and the synagogues. What Jesus is most likely doing in this moment is driving in on the reality that as they gave in the streets and the synagogues, they were making a massive deal about it. 
Maybe a little jingling of the money. Maybe a little <clears throat> clearing of the throat as they dropped some money into the hands of the needy. And Jesus calls that hypocrisy. The word hypocrite meaning one who wears a mask. One who is an actor who plays a part on a stage. A counter. They were hypocrites, Jesus says, because they only gave when they could be seen by others. Notice where they're giving. In the streets and in the synagogues. Where a bunch of people are going to be gathered together and they can be seen and honored by men. They are hypocrites because they only gave when they thought they could gain honor and praise. They had no real love for their needy and poor neighbor. They had no concern to help those in need. They only wanted to be noticed as an actor on a stage by other people. They cared more about the eyes of man which can only see the outer and they cared nothing about the eyes of God which sees the heart. So then, Jesus calls them hypocrites. And look at the end of verse 2. What He says about them. They have their reward. They have their reward in full. The applause of man. Oh, the, the oohs and the ahs. Oh, how holy you must be. Oh, how much you must care. That's their reward. And as soon as the applause goes silent, the reward is over. That's it. That's your reward. Congratulations. You have it in full. How very sad. How very sad to live one's life only for the next round of applause And then when that applause goes silent, the reward is gone. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there is no reward from God for those who seek it from men. Beloved, we want to live and give for God's glory. We want to do it for a better reward. So here's our third aspect. Our giving for God's glory, it merits a better reward reward verses three and four but when you give to the poor so there's that when again do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing instead of drawing attention to yourself when you give instead of relying on your giving to earn you praise instead of turning the act of giving into a moment that is all about you, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And and here's the instruction in verse 3. I think it's very simple. Beginning in your heart, do not make a big show of giving. Just don't make a big deal about it once you have given move on and forget about it move on 
and forget about it. Do not dwell on it. Don't think about how great or how kind you are forgiving. Don't think about... That's the 17th Sunday in a row that I've given. What a streak. What a streak. Don't dwell upon it. John Stott said, don't let your left hand applaud your right hand's generosity. Don't pat yourself on the back. God calls us to all kinds of just normal, faithful living. And giving is one of those things. Just do it, and then move on. Commit in your heart of where you're going to give, how much you're going to give, to whom you're going to give, why you're going to give, why you're not going to give, and then give and move on. No matter where you give, no matter how you give, to whom you give, or how much you give, the heart attitude should be that this giving is for God's glory. The heart attitude really should begin with, this isn't even my money. It's not my money. I mean, I go to work and I get a paycheck, but that's not my money. Because everything that I have belongs to God. And I'm just a steward of this. Don't hold so tightly to your checkbook. And that will allow you to give for God's glory with a heart attitude that says, I want God to be honored in this. I want my neighbor to be helped in this. It is not about me. D.A. Carson said, the way to avoid hypocrisy is not to cease giving, but to do so with such secrecy that we scarcely know what we have given. The greatest challenge, Jesus says here in verse 3, is not keeping our giving secret from others. That's not the greatest challenge. The greatest challenge is keeping it secret from ourselves. Of not letting ourselves be puffed up with pride for how faithful we are to give to God and to the poor among us. The greatest challenge is cultivating a heart within us that cares chiefly about God's glory and living holy lives before the face of God. Wrap it up with me in verse 4. Do it this way, Jesus says in verse 3, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Our quiet, secret, Faithful and obedient giving does not go unnoticed by God. It doesn't. God sees it. God sits in the heavens and sees everything, right? God sees every little, simple, normal act of faithfulness that you live out. And when you give in secret, God sees it. And as John Calvin said, we ought to be satisfied with having God for our only witness. We ought to just be satisfied with that. What is the reward that God gives in verse 4? Well, we saw earlier from 1 Corinthians 3 that Scripture teaches there will be some heavenly reward for deeds done for God's glory. There might even now be a myriad of ways in which God might choose to reward 
this kind of giving. It might just be that God gives you a peace and contentment that comes when you live for God's glory alone. Listen, when you're always living for yourself, you're always going to be worried about how, how can people see me? How can I live my life to be seen by others? You're always going to kind of be consumed and your soul's never going to be at rest. One of the rewards might just simply be there's peace and contentment in just living for God's glory alone. But maybe, most importantly, the greatest reward that God gives us, I think, is a better reward of an eternal kingdom. End with me in Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Starting in verse 34. Speaking of the coming judgment, the day of the Lord, when all the nations are gathered before God, Matthew 25, verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Verse 40, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Our giving cannot earn our salvation But lives lived for God's glory give evidence of God's salvation upon their lives and so then they receive the better reward, an eternal reward, a perfect reward. They inherit a kingdom. And all that that means with King Jesus on the throne, saints, that is truly a better reward. Live quorum Deo before the face of God. Live with your greatest desire being not that the preacher would see, not that the people on the pew would see, but only that God would see. And if there is to be a reward, let's wait. Let's wait on the reward. I promise you it's better promise you is better it's a reward that will never die out like the temporal faint applause of man let's live for god's glory and a better reward let's pray together god you have given us everything in christ So God, it is our delight to live for Your glory specifically in this text to give our money, our tithes, our offerings, to give alms to the poor, to care for those around us.
God, I pray that we would hold loosely to the world's goods. That we would be good stewards of the money that You've entrusted to us. God, that we would look at our checkbook. And God, that our first thought would be, how can I leverage this for the sake of the Gospel? So God, work by Your Spirit. Father, work Your Word now into the soil of our hearts. Massage it. Grow it. Produce fruit from it. God, we love You and we thank You. We ask and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.